All right, friends, I am thrilled to be back with you and to be sharing today with a, a new friend who I was introduced to by a mutual friend that I met here in Georgia. I am thrilled to be chatting with Erin today. Erin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. I am thrilled to be chatting with you, and it is always so sweet to be able to chat with someone who has a story filled with so much hope. And so I'm, I'm just really excited to hear your story of you and your sweet family. And also this friends audience, um, this is my first time hearing this story. And so I am hearing it as you are hearing it. And so this is just a really sweet treat. My sweet friend, Barbara introduced Aaron and I, and she said, you just have to hear her story. Like this story is just so amazing to hear how God has worked. And so I knew I had to have Erin on. So again, Erin, thank you for being here. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, my name is Erin Tierney. Um, I have been married to my husband for Josh Tierney for 10 years and we have three kids. Third was an oops. <laughs> and I, I she's um, my oldest, which is Harper. She's almost six. And then my middle is three and then my youngest is 10 months and oh, wow still can't believe she's like here yeah so we um yeah so I have three girls so it's, I feel bad for my husband sometimes so, yes I grew up in a family of three girls so uh, yeah <laughs> and you have two girls yourself so. and I have two girls now yeah. yes <laughs> yeah but girls are so sweet we would love a boy but girls are really sweet yeah no, for sure. So Barbara shared with me, I feel like we're going to use Barbara's name a lot because she introduced us. So. She's hey, Barbara. So Barbara was sharing with me just a little bit about your story with your daughter who had cancer. Would you share with us that story? So um, when we lived in Nashville and my husband was in his um, last couple of months of his residency, we, I took my daughter for her one year checkup and, um, didn't think about anything. It was just, just, there was nothing, nothing was wrong with her. It was just, she turned one, she had a birthday and then we went in for that checkup the next week. And, um, her pediatrician was, um, doing her like, um, physical, like pressing on the stomach, you know, all those things. And, um, and she, my daughter was like, she's really hyperactive and she was really extra wiggly today, that day. So I didn't think there was something wrong. I thought my daughter's just being wiggly. And so the doctor is just being more persistent with trying to get her to hold still. So she felt her abdomen and she said, I feel something solid in here. And, um, she, you know, it could be, she bless her. She was just being sweet. Cause if my husband was there, he knew right away, something was wrong, but she was like, there's something hard. It might be like, like some hard, like stool in her intestines, <laughs> which is what I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, let me get my colleague and have her double check since you guys are moving to, we were getting ready to move to Louisville for his fellowship. Um, so you guys, that was my last appointment with this pediatrician. So she was like, let me get my colleague and have her check her abdomen just to make sure. So her colleague came in the room and pressed in on her stomach and, um, and felt the mass basically. And they both looked at me and they said, you know what, since you're moving, 
um, we we want to schedule a um, an ultrasound and my nurse will be calling you. So I left. I didn't think anything of it because I thought she's too young to have cancer. And the only type of childhood cancer I knew at the time was leukemia. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not medical like my husband. Um, <laughs> and so I called Josh, my husband, he's at work and I told him and he was like, well, what side was it? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, are you getting the scan? Are you getting the ultrasound today? And I was like, no, I think next week maybe. And he was like, call them back and get it today. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I called the nurse and she was like, yeah, doctor, um, I can't remember her name all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> Dr. Triggs, yeah. Dr. Triggs said that because your husband's medical, like you need to get it today. So then I knew something was probably wrong. Um, and so, um, so then we ended up having the ultrasound that late afternoon, early evening. And my husband, I think he, the children's hospital is right next to the adult hospital. So I think he just met us after he got done with whatever he was doing. And I think he knew, he probably would say, yeah, he had an idea. He said he knew a couple of things of what it could be. And, but he didn't tell me like, cause I get, I get really anxious and he, he's just, um, somebody, he only tells me information that is known because he knows that I'll probably have a panic attack, um, mm-hmm. which he's right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, so then they did the ultrasound on her and I remember the technician just being really quiet and my husband was like dead silent and I was like, what? are they seen? And he was like, I just want to talk to the radiologist when they come in and I just have some questions. And I, I felt like he knew what it was, but he just wasn't telling me. So then the radiologist comes in and she was like, it's either, um, neuroblastoma or, um, or Wilms t- or Wilms t- cancer, which is, um, cause, okay. I might mess this all up. I'm not, all the cancer stuff, but like there's okay. two. It's a lot. My husband's gonna play laugh at me. Um, <laughs> there's two types of really common solid tumor cancers in children, and her tumor was on top of her kidney, and so Wilms tends to be on top of the kidneys too. So she said it was either Wilms or neuroblastoma. So um, that like kind of knocked the wind out of out of me. And I, I don't know what completely what was going through his head. Cause you, I think like in hindsight, like he knew from just looking at the imaging, it was a, mm-hmm. it was like the tumor was the size of a grapefruit. So you oh was very gosh. um obvious in the ultrasound, what it was. And so then, and how old was your daughter at this time? She was 12 months old. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we think she just had it neuroblastoma. You can have it in utero, um, undetected. So they think she just, she was just born with it. Wow. Yeah. So and this was your middle daughter at the time. My first or, or your oldest. oldest. Okay. Yeah. So she was our only kid. She was our, my first and our only kid at that time. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So I remember we immediately were taken to a room. It, everything happened so quick. It was pretty crazy. Um, so like we got taken to the room and then the res, the resident fellow or not the resident fellow, the resident oncologist came and talked to us and told us like tumor board, 
is tomorrow, which is when all the surgeons and all the oncologists get together and discuss like what they're going to do next. Um, and they think they're pretty dang sure it was neuroblastoma um, based on some things. And um, so he was talking to us. And during that moment, um, Josh is, um, we're just texting people um, like our church and um, one of his good friends at the time was a pediatric surgeon and um, he texted because um, that's a, it's a type of cancer she had, which is really interesting with my husband being a surgeon and then her cancer is very a surgical situation. Um, he was texting his friend and was telling him that it was neuroblastoma and I was texting our, and we were good friends with our pastor and his wife and our church was just, our church was like family there. And, and in the middle of like texting, whoever was texting from our church, one of our elders at the church, um, he was a physician at, at Vanderbilt and he just like, he just, I don't even know what happened. He showed up. <laughs> and so we were like, um, we were like, Hey, Bill, like, our kid has cancer. And he was, um, he was, um, uh, he's med ped. So he's a pediatrician and adult internal medicine. And so he was in the children's hospital at that time, mm -hmm. I think, and just was there. And we just, all three of us just sat in silence and it just didn't feel real. It was very much like, um, as you probably know, a very out of body experience, like like whatever they're saying to me right now, like, I don't even, it doesn't feel real. This isn't my child. This isn't happening mm -hmm. to me. And it was just really, yeah, it was really weird and hard and didn't feel real. And then, so the first step was confirming where she was with neuroblastoma because neuroblastoma, they don't go by stages with neuroblastoma. You're either, um, you're either no risk, intermediate risk or high risk based on your age, which is really strange. Um, yeah. So how does that work? So who would be considered high risk? So if you're over the age of 18 months, you could, you have more of a probability of being high risk. So she was 12 months. So we had more without knowing any information about the tumor. She was, because she was one and because we caught it, it's, I don't understand it, but because okay. we caught it at age one, it wasn't high risk yet, which is okay. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, not every kid who's one has, isn't high risk, but normally most kids under the age of two years old have a better prognosis than those who are over two years old. Gotcha. So, um, so, so they were like, it's good that she's, you know, 12 months old. That means she's probably not high risk. Cause if you're high risk, then you have a 40% chance of cure. And if you're, um, well, yeah, she's, I guess after all the testing, we found out she had an, at the time she had a 90, like an over 90% cure rate for her cancer. So, um, yeah, so we had so we had a good prognosis, I guess, from the beginning that um, that they could because it wasn't affecting any of her body. A lot of times they catch neuroblastoma in kids because they're not peeing or pooping properly, or mm -hmm. they can't they're not walking, they get paralyzed by the tumor. Um, and she had none of that. So it was like it was such a god thing that her pediatrician like felt the tumor 
through a physical exam and, yeah. and didn't let us go and move to Kentucky because <laughs> yeah. we were moving. And that was literally the last time we were supposed to see her. And yeah. it, it was just, it was such the Lord. Like I, the doctors would be like, how did you find out? And I'm like, her pediatrician. And they're like, really? And I was, it is, it doesn't happen that way normally. And okay. So, so you stayed in Tennessee and did treatment then? Yeah. So this is what's weird about her situation. So they did, um, they did genetic testing. They did, well, they did one genetic testing, um, to check for this type of gene that would make her high risk and she didn't have it. And then they, they, we met with the surgeon and he said, you know, I want to do some chemo. So it's because the tumor was sitting against, um, a really major vein and it was against her spine. It wasn't going into her spinal cord. That's why she hadn't been paralyzed yet. It was, it was, it was such the Lord. Like she, it was like almost touching her. Yeah. It almost was near, it was so close to her cord. She might not have been able to walk. And oh my gosh. yeah, so they found it before it did that. And, um, but yeah, the surgeon wanted to do some chemo. So it'd be less bloody and, 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 and be a better surgery situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, but then there was something weird about the whole situation with the oncologist where he was predicting for her that because of the, I don't know what it was, I guess, based on research, he thought, I don't think she's going to respond really well to chemo. And um, we may just do a little bit of chemo and she goes straight into surgery and be done with it, with this type of cancer. And so we did um, two rounds of chemo. And um, so she was diagnosed in April and we did chemo. And then by June, um, which was the last month we were in Nashville. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and so then by June, um, they they operated, they, the chemo wasn't working. It didn't do a thing. And, um, so they, they just said, okay, we're going to operate and then you're done and you're in remission. And so then, um, so then they operated on her and, um, it was like a seven hour surgery. And while they're operating on her, they found that her appendix had burst, but she had no symptoms of that. So they removed her, which is another God thing because they're like, they're like, the surgeon was like, I've never seen this before. Like, like just gone in to operate. And then the appendix is burst at the same time. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Look at the Lord, like yeah. how he cares for us. Oh yeah. my goodness. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember he came out that day and he was like cancer lost today. And then he's explaining the surgery and, and it was like, it sounded like a really cool surgery. And then I was like, this is my kid. Like I, cause I yeah. think the surgeon and the fellow like loved doing operate on my kid, um, <laughs> which I, I know from, from watching my husband explain surgery, nice. he was all excited. So I was like, wait, this is my child. Like finding the appendix, like yes. <laughs> this is a lot to take in. Right. Oh my goodness. So what were you feeling at the time? Like, were you just beside yourself or did you feel confident because your husband was a surgeon or where were you at? Um, I feel like with, so when she got diagnosed because of the prognosis and what they were going to do, it was like a three month situation and then she'd be in remission like that's in the beginning that's what her journey looked like and so I instead of I think 
I, well, there are a couple of things. Like I, I was definitely terrified and engaging with God about it and dealing with all that fear. But at the same time, I think because I knew it was a three month situation, I also did the unhealthy thing and disassociated myself from what was going on. Mm. And so I felt like really out of body. I felt like I wasn't really engaging her cancer journey at that time. I felt like, okay, it's three months, we're moving, we're done. Like, that's it. Let's move on. Mm. But then I remember when they put her port in to get chemo, um, we had to stay, they wanted to do her first round inpatient because she was so little and see how she would do with the chemo. And I remember being on the floor and being like, we're not supposed to, I think every person feels this way because it's, it's like, you know, it interrupts your life. And Mm -hmm. I was like, we're not supposed to be here. Like I've seen all these pictures of kids without their hair and this is, this isn't my life. (laughs) Yes. That is is such a clear way to put it. That's exactly what happened to us when we went to Dana-Farber to get my diagnosis. I was just looking around at all these really sick people and I was like, this, this is, uh, I don't belong here. Like this isn't for me. Yeah. You're like, (laughs) Like it was for them. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Like these people are like, yes, let me, let me get out here. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was very like out of body. And I remember like she got the chemo and she did really well with it. And, um, it was really low dose chemo. And he said that our, like, that we, her, it probably won't lower her counts and, um, like your life will be pretty normal in between, um, the rounds, um, besides like having that port, but yeah. Yeah. And she didn't get sick. She was really, she just did really well with it. It was low dose. It wasn't okay. extreme chemo. I was um, going to ask, I don't, I don't know anything about babies and chemo. So yeah. I was curious if kids get sick or I have, I have a friend whose son had to do chemo, but she said that he just kind of bounced around and acted normal other than maybe being a little cranky and just from not feeling the best, but he wasn't throwing up or anything. So she didn't throw up or have side effects. Yeah. And I think it was just the type of chemo she got, like it was just low dose and she wasn't being treated for high risk neuroblastoma. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, our biggest struggle was like having her not pull out the IV while (laughs) <laughs> she was getting chemo because she was one. Oh yeah. And like, it didn't make her tired. And it was, yeah. I remember my father-in-law, I think when, I think the second round, she had like six hours oh of it and he walked the halls holding her and playing and just making sure she wouldn't pull out. It was, yeah. It oh, was really that's terrible. so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I just have, he just was walking around holding her and I was holding the, yeah. Cool. So she wouldn't yank it, but it was very, yeah, I don't, for my husband, I felt like it was a real spiritual rebirth for him and just he had all these revelations from God and just like, it was just like, he was just really, he was more engaged with the situation. And I remember I, I was in counseling at the time and, um, and I, the therapist was like, what is your biggest fear with Harper? And I was like, that she's going to die. And I, and like the therapist, like she just lamented with me, like you can't, um, right. like, you know, even with the best situation that we had, it was like really scary 
to be like, my kid has cancer and, um, yeah. And, and I just remember like when I would, I journal and I pray a lot and, and I, it's kind of a big way. Like I have intimacy with God is through journal praying. And when I look back at my journal, I remember this, like, I just, it was so hard for me to pray because I was so afraid of her dying that like literally my journal entries for those first couple of months were just scripture. Like I remember that I could not pray because it was so upsetting to me to think about where we were that all I could do was write scripture and remember why I, why I trust God or like why he's faithful or like his promises, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a verse in like Jeremiah that says like, your words to me were like life and I ate them. And, and Jeremiah was somebody, was a prophet that everyone hated and, and he was killed. And I was like, I feel like Jeremiah right now, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. nothing is, I mean, I'm not getting killed, but like my daughter is life. Like I, I have no hope, but like in your word and your word is the only thing that's giving me like hope right now. And yeah. So when I look back at those journals, it's really mind blowing to me. Like it is flooded with just promises. And I remember because I literally couldn't pray, like mm-hmm. I would just be a mess and all I could do is write his word and, and, and fill my mind with hope and not with, you know, anxiety and, mm. And because that's what I would, that's, I'm, I'm prone to being anxious. So I would yeah. be like trying to predict our outcomes and it's just better to, to like, think about things that are true, which is like who God is. Yes. yes. <laughs> so. You know, I, I was there so many times in my cancer journey too. And that's, again, that's such a good way to put it. I feel like it seems like you're a really great communicator and I feel like you're putting into words a lot of my experience. I was able to pray, but there were times when I didn't realize how upset I was or anxious or scared or angry, whatever I was feeling until I went to pray. And then when I would go to pray, I would just sob, you know, and I, and I wouldn't realize it until I actually brought it before the Lord. So I so resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, you're like, I, I felt like it's interesting because I remember in your, in your podcast, you're like, God is like a bad or a boyfriend. What did, An I abusive remember. boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I remember, I mean, and, and if I ever, to my go through a trial, you know, I think, well, even as humans, we all feel this like the suffering in general. It's like, where's God, like where I don't feel you. And, um, I always think there's like the, Jesus is asking his disciples if they're going to leave him because of like what, because all these other people have left him. And Peter says, do you have the words of life or else where would I go? And that's how I feel. No matter what I go through, I know with my family and, and have watched really terrible things in other people's lives and have seen, I used to work with a refugee. I've seen a lot of trauma and a lot of, of people numbing things and with, with, things that seem good and they're not good. Mm-hmm. And like, God has the words of life. Like where else would I go? Like this mm-hmm. world is dying. Yeah. Like we're all going to die. Yes. And so I can't put my hope in, in that. <laughs> yes. So, so I, I laughed because Barbara and I were having this conversation this morning and she quoted okay. the same exact scripture as you. So that was oh, really, really? <laughs> 
word of the Lord. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Yes. So let me ask you, what was the hardest part? Obviously, obviously there were a lot of hard parts, but I always like to ask this question, um, just for solidarity for other moms who are going through the same or similar thing right now. Um, so the second part of your story, which is kind of like the weird part, um, that I think not everyone, because we have moved so much and it's not that I don't love the people that were in our lives and pouring into our lives at each period. And we've lived, you probably can relate. We've lived in three States mm-hmm. through this. Yes. And it's kind of like traumatic to relive those things and re-explain yourself all the time. So it's better for me just to not just what life, like, yeah. But mm-hmm. like me as it is. I so understand that. Yes. So this is, so when we moved to Kentucky, she was in remission and, um, and they started noticing nine months into remission that there was a little like spot showing on her spine. And, um, it was like a remnant of the tumor, but they were like, it's growing. And so, um, and so we, <laughs> it was hard to believe that it was growing because of her like having over a 90% chance cure and just, you know, not having these genes they thought that she didn't have. And so then, um, so then she got scanned again and they were like, it is growing and we didn't know what to do. And so we went to, and once again, my husband was finishing his one year, it was springtime again. He was finishing his fellowship. So we were moving again. And, um, and like, and we had just decided like a week before that scan, he had just signed his contract to move out to Colorado. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so a week later we found out that, that most likely her cancer might be coming back already, which was really hard because it was an over 90% chance. And so we didn't really like our doctor in Kentucky. Um, and so we went back to Vanderbilt and, um, and it was just kind of confusion there because her oncologist was moving to Florida. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he was like, kind of done with her case. No, we, I don't want to put him down, but like, it was just a weird transitional situation where like we were moving to Colorado, but we didn't know if we had enough time to like, wait till we moved to Colorado to see a doctor. And, mm-hmm. and cause her, like, oncologist in Louisville was really worried about the remnant growing towards her spine and paralyzing her. And Mm -hmm. so, um, so it was a really confusing time and we went to, well, so she was suggesting spinal surgery and the oncologist at the time was saying surgery, but the surgeon and my husband both were like, spinal surgery is not that easy. We can't just take a little like tweezer and like take it out of the spine like it's not it's not like you don't want that and Mm -hmm. and so we were all just I remember we were in a small group in Louisville for like I just the Lord like I only knew these people for like three months Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's like they didn't even know my kid had cancer (laughs) and I was like my kid has had cancer and Mm -hmm. and I was like and I'm just telling telling you my whole life now because I don't know what to do and we're leaving in two months and Mm. it was just 
but that's, that's what I love about the body of Christ is like, it didn't matter at all. Yeah. I was weeping. And I was like, they want to do spinal surgery and they want and I was just crying. I remember this woman in my small group, she was a physician and she was the way she prayed. She knew the human body and the way she prayed. And she mm. was like, Lord, you know, those delicate nerves, you know, that they can't have, like, she was praying as if the surgery was not the answer and there was another answer, but it was not known yet, which is mm-hmm. true. And it was, um, it was a really, it was a really cool moment. And it gave me hope because I felt like the Holy Spirit was really speaking to me through her. And then that next week we went to Cincinnati because they have a neuroblastoma center there. Yeah. They're and, amazing. Yeah. They're that. Yeah. And they, they did a PET scan and they did another genetic testing on another gene. Cause there's one gene that can cause this problem that she had, which is, um, it's not relapse. It's more like failure of treatment. Like like these tumors don't respond to chemo if they have this gene. Okay. And, um, and so we went to the, we got the scan and they, they did the genetic testing and we found out she did have that gene. And, um, but it sounds terrible, but that, but because of places like um, Alex's Lemonade Stand and St. Baldrick's, these research, I, I, I plug them because they, the, those, those organizations, their, their research has given my daughter a chance of life. Mm-hmm. Um, they had developed a drug that targeted that gene that made chemo work and that would make things work. And wow, that is amazing. Yeah. So thank you, Alex's Lemonade Stand and St. Baldrick's. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, research is really important. So it, it really um, is. Yeah. So, um, so that, so I, all that to say that was probably the hard, well, there's a lot of hard moments, but that moment was really hard for me. Um, because at that time, um, I had just found out I was pregnant and we weren't preventing, but we, and we wanted a second kid, but we didn't really want to have one, you know, in the middle of all of her relapsing basically. And, um, and I, when I'm pregnant, I throw up all I'm, I'm so sick. It's unbelievable Mm. how sick I get. And, um, and I was throwing up and I, and we were about to move and we just got this news that like, she has this gene. And then the other good news was that there's a doctor and at Colorado children's that does experimental therapies and is familiar with her situation. So we knew we were going to a good children's hospital in Colorado. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but what was hard was I felt So like I was throwing up, I felt like God was, I couldn't, I felt like God was so far away from me. Like I was miserable with puking and, um, and we didn't really know what was going to happen with Harper. And, um, when we were moving to a place where we knew no one, I mean, his sister luckily lived in Denver, but we weren't moving to Denver we were literally moving to a community where we knew nobody and, um, and I was terrified and I felt God was so far away. And then I felt like it was so cruel that I was puking my guts out through this. Mm-hmm. And, and we went to um, small group that night and that same woman who like had prayed that prayer, she came up to me, she barely know, knew me. And she, I still think about this all the time. She said, she said, I don't know you. I don't want to scare you. 
um, she said, I, the Lord talked to me last night about you when I was praying for Harper. And she said that the Lord told me that you feel so much darkness around you right now. And I was like, yeah, like, I feel like he doesn't care. I feel like he's not near me. I feel, I feel darkness and I feel so sick that I can't even will myself to like be to like, I have nothing in me to like worship him or anything. Like I'm just puking. And, um, and she said, I just want you to know that the darkness that you feel isn't darkness. It's the shadow of his hand. Mm. She said, that's how close God is to you right now. And it's, it's his shadow. And he is going to show you where he has Harper, he has the wisdom and he's going to show you the treatment and what she needs. And it, it was oh true. Gosh. We signed the contract to go to Colorado, like the week before all this. And we never wanted to live. I mean, I, I love Colorado. Like I, I praise God we're here and that we're treated for cancer out here because it's beautiful. Um, but we, this wasn't our plan. We wanted to be overseas doing, doing medical work overseas. And so, um, and so it was just God, like, it was just God that we were in Colorado and God that we had this oncologist who was familiar with, um, neuroblastoma with, with this gene, which is called an ALK, it's called the ALK gene. Okay. Um, if anyone has, is listening to this in neuroblastoma. Yeah. <laughs> And um, she, who's familiar with the ALK gene and the ALK gene causing problems with neuroblastoma cancer kids. And so um, it was just the Lord, like we were put, the hospital is an hour from our house. Mm -hmm. We were put in a place where we didn't have to completely uproot. I mean, we were uprooting anyway, but this was going to be our community. And, and yeah, I felt like that, that, what, that word she gave me just gave me so much hope. And I clung to that word that whole next year, because if she didn't have the alkene and didn't have failure of treatment from the first time, like she would be in remission. So that that's hard for me right now. Yeah. She would have been in remission, but she's not. And, um, we don't really know what will happen. Like Harper's case is very strange and very much God has kept her so what happened was we came to Colorado and they decided after I gave birth to our second kid, they decided two months later that they wanted to start chemo and they wanted to do six to seven rounds of chemo. And so, um, so after my baby was two months old and had colic, which was another felt really cruel situation. Yeah. The first two years in Colorado, I'm like, who was I? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we started chemo and the chemo didn't work. We did uh, six rounds and it, it didn't, the, the tumor didn't grow, but it didn't shrink and it didn't change. And, mm -hmm. and it was, I felt like that year was such a year of like disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I realized how powerful disappointment is Find, like anything that's disappointing can totally alter your mood and change your hope and I felt like the Lord, even though I don't, didn't want to puke my whole like pregnancy and then have a colic newborn and then have chemo. I felt like he was teaching me. There's a verse that says, be patient in trials, like hope all, always have hope, be patient in tribulation, be continual in prayer. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was very applicable to disappointment. 
Romans 12, 12, I think. Yeah. So yeah. like, like when I felt disappointed, I would just go back. I'm like, oh, that's what that verse is for. Cause it's saying be patient in trial. Like that person who wrote it wouldn't write it unless they're going through something disappointing. It's so hard to be in that though. Yeah. You know, sometimes I would even find myself frustrated thinking someday I'm going to understand why God allowed me to go through this. And I'm <laughs> mad thinking about that. I'm like, I don't even want to know. I just don't want to be going through it. <laughs> I know you're like, I don't really want to like test my faith. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to test my faith. I don't want to be the person that, you know, gives other people hope. Okay. So I would love um, just real quick for you to share this question popped in my mind as you were saying that um, Harper is six and she, it, did you say she's technically not in remission right now? Yeah. And we don't know. Um, she's living with cancer. So they're keeping her on the drug for another, I think two years. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's just, they've never seen this situation. Usually kids Wow. that are on this drug or on this trial, they're high risk kids. They're mm-hmm. kids that have, they, they have true relapse where they have new tumors or new situations. And, um, so for her, she never got a new tumor. She never got cancer anywhere else. It was just that little piece left from surgery. She should be in a lot worse situation than she is. Mm-hmm. And she's not. And, um, and yeah, so I kind of, I live I, this, I think this is why I don't talk about it a lot with people is because it's confusing, like, Mm -hmm. because we're not, we're not in remission. And I want to celebrate with everyone who feels like, cause the cancer is dead. It it does feel like we're in remission, but the doctor isn't seeing that. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's hard to fully celebrate. (laughs) It's over, you know, um, because uh, who we don't know. It's still a wait and see. So I kind of just, my attitude with cancer, um, for a while now has just been to live presently. Like, I just don't think about it. I don't talk about it. Um, I was going to ask, that was my next question that you may have seen me write down. I was going to ask if it changes how you live because what I am. And also I, understand completely what you're saying about living in the in-between. And I I remember I had a really hard time sharing on social media that I was in remission because I always assumed that. And so I know that other people assume that when you say that you're in remission, it means you're cancer free and you're good and you're done. And it doesn't always, it doesn't mean that it means that there is no evidence. Well, at least for me, there's no evidence of the cancer, but it could come back at any time. And you celebrate that there's no sign of, of tumors in my situation. Everybody is different, but um, that's not always the case. And so I was hesitant to even share on social media that a scan was clear that I was in remission because I didn't want people to misunderstand what I was saying that like, oh, it's completely over. So I waited until my second scan that was clear to say I'm done with treatment we kind of just called it we're like yeah, you know, we're yeah. just gonna call it and you, and you call it <laughs> right kind of like you understand you know like if uh, if it comes back this is gonna be a a whole new journey like it's not gonna be attached to this journey that we just went through you know it's gonna be a new thing um I wanted to ask do you live differently knowing that you are living in the in-between yeah I think and that's what I think is we 
Um, you know, my daughter, we started out this journey and my daughter was one and we're still on this journey and she's six. And so um, this journey was very much Josh and I's journey. And now mm-hmm. that she's older, it's becoming more her journey. Yeah. Like you have cancer. What does that mean? Like, yeah. cause you start out nonverbal, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like, why do I still have scans? Why do I, mm. you know, and um, I, I just, which is, I think appropriate is, is um, we only give, we only talk with, with her. I only give information of what is true, which is, you don't need to go there all the way down the line to death because that's never been true in our prognosis, you know, mm-hmm. and never been true in our diagnosis. There's never been that sentence, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though it's potentially there. And so for me, um, that's how I kind of live is she's living with cancer, but you would never know. She doesn't have a port. Um, we, um, we, yeah, she takes pills that she swallows. Um, and the pills don't have any side effects except for like, it will raise her cholesterol periodically. Um, and yeah, we live very normal lives. I mean, the only thing that has changed recently is we've come off trial and cause the drug is FDA approved in adults for the same gene as in adult lung cancer. Okay. And so, um, there, th- that, that drug is actually approved in adults and she actually mm-hmm. is at one of the adult doses. So we came off trial cause trial requires a lot more blood work and scans that are unnecessary for her situation. So we came off trial, um, a month ago, which is a big praise of, from the pharmacy. So now we, yeah, we, we, we get scans every four, five, six months now. And that's when I, for me, I turn it off the cancer life off and turn it off for her. Cause like mm. she doesn't need to like think about it. Yeah. And then it kind of, it comes back, you know, we're at the hospital. Yeah, for so sure. I think that's why a lot of people don't know where we're at a lot of the time. Yeah. I'm yes. intentionally being that way. Cause yeah. I want to live my life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, like, like we said earlier, there can be a lot of confusion and it's, and a lot of trauma and it's just easier not to share sometimes to, to avoid that. So what is something that, what is a word of hope that you can give to a mom who is going through a similar situation right now? Know God, know him not just know him. Like I believe in God, who God is, is in his word is in that's like, that's the story of that's the bigger picture. That's the answer to like everything that we're going through. Mm. You know, this world is not, is like, we have suffering in this world because this is not the, this is not the world that God created. This is Mm. the result of sin. And this is the result of the fall. And so for me, Yes, I believe in miracles and think God has done a lot of miracles in Harper's life. And, and I, and I say, pray for those, but I, I say even more like, hold on to God, you know, like hold on to him. Um, because like he, he's there when no one else is. I remember right before she got surgery, I went to like this vineyard in Franklin, Tennessee, but not because I wanted to drink, but because it was like, <laughs> but because it's a really beautiful part of, um, of, of Franklin. And um, I remember just crying and I, 
just was really mad at God. And I was like, my daughter is going to have a seven hour surgery. And I was just really mad at him. And, but I wanted him and I knew that he was the only one and, and who, who could, who could get me through it. And, and he is, he is, he is the only person that could silence all that anxiety and all that panic in my mind. Mm -hmm. And he's the only one, like you can, you can have positive thoughts. You can think of like, oh, that next vacation. Those are all good things. Like I'm not saying those are bad. Those things all fade away within an instant. And he's the only one who doesn't. And so Mm -hmm. dig into him, know him, find people who, who can, who can carry you through that too. Just like get his feet and let him in. Yes. And, and the Bible promises that when we call, he will answer, like he will meet us where we are at if we call to him with genuine hearts. Yeah. Well, Erin, thank you so much again for being here today and just sharing. You have really encouraged my heart. Thanks. Thanks for having me and just giving me the opportunity to just talk about what, what happened and how we're doing.